The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. Welcome, everyone. Happy New Year. And a big welcome to anybody who is here for the first time. I know it's not necessarily easy to step through the doors and come to a Buddhist meditation center. It can feel a little overwhelming. And then, you know, it's not everybody's home. It won't feel like your home initially, at least. So I just want to make sure, at least in this moment, for me, that uh, everyone feel welcome. And we want this place to be accessible, open for anybody who's interested in learning, using awareness, mindfulness to learn about the heart and mind as a way of becoming a wiser and kinder human being. That's really the point of the center. And it feels like a good time at the beginning of the year to just revisit sort of what we do here, what the basic practice is. And I sort of covered it to some degree during the guided meditation today using a teaching from the Buddha. Just those who are interested in the technical name of things, these are the five jhanic factors. But this list that I'll go through in the next few minutes really describes, as I mentioned early at the beginning, you know, wisdom in the mind is that part of the mind that wants to understand how things happen. Not why things happen, but just the lawfulness of how things, like how we get into really negative, unwholesome states of mind. Like it would be good to know how that happens in our mind at times and how the mind becomes really skillful at times. So we do probably know the experience of the mind being really settled, really clear, balanced, not dependent, not needy, not looking for something out there in, my, in the world, in my experience, to make me feel good, already feeling good, right? We bumped into that mind state probably, hopefully, every once in a while. And so the jhanic factors really describe how this coming together of the heart, coming together of the mind, the collectedness of mind, stability of mind, unification of mind, how that happens. Because from the Buddha's worldview, everything is nature. So it's not like I make my mind unified. No, it's a natural occurrence. There are supporting causes and conditions for that. Mostly, often at least, our mind is dissipated, it's distracted, it flits about, does two or three things at once, worrying about that, hoping about this other thing, pulled in different directions. That mind is superficial, the energy is dissipated, it's not that clear. So everything we, the mind knows, is sort of being interrupted by other experiences that are being known. And so the kind of choices the mind makes, the way the mind relates, the way the mind is showing up is limited, is actually um, damaged by the lack of unification, the lack of stability. We just can't do a good job as a human being, whether we're a parent in that moment or a partner or walking down the street. We're just not that good at it because of the way the mind is. Gets in the way of relating gets in the way of being intimate and present, engaged in a wholesome way. 
So the nice thing about understanding the map, like how the mind becomes stable, clear, sees things as they are, not easily pushed around, not easily disturbed, is we can then get better at the steps that lead to that, right? Knowing it, we can get better at it. If we don't know the natural causes for the stability of mind, it's not going to be, it's just going to be a roll of the dice, whether we're deepening those supporting or we're doing the opposite, you know, deepening, strengthening the conditions that lead to the mind being dissipated and distracted and superficial. The stability of mind, the one nice visceral description or clear description I got from Joseph Goldstein once is he talks about an upside-down bowl with a nice, smooth, rounded bottom, right? And if you were to place a marble at the top of that upside-down bowl, it would immediately roll off. You might have a moment of the marble being stable right there at the top of the bowl, but then it would roll off and roll down under some couch or something. It'd take forever to find it, and then when you do find it, put it down, and then, again, you just get an instant of that beautiful balance. And then he said, with practice, like understanding the jhanic factors, the bowl flips, right? So now it's this away, and you put the marble there, and there's a lot more sort of resilience, like even if the bowl were bumped, the marble would do its little dance for a few seconds, but its tendency now is to come back to that place of balance, that place of stillness, that place of uh, unshakable presence, no matter the external conditions. And this is the whole idea of deepening or stabilizing the awareness is on a, just on a superficial level that makes us better at whatever we're, we're going to do. It's sort of the the basic ground of competence is having a stable mind. And more importantly than even that is it sets up a deepening of insight. The mind start because of the stability of mind, the mind starts to see things it hasn't seen before about the way it is. And so it is no longer, in a sense, in the dark because it's seen more clearly because of the stability. So relationships that just never made sense start to make sense. Oh, this is why we're like this together. And the world, that's a mess. Oh, this is why the world is this way. And the mind begins, like I said, because there's more wisdom with that stability, the mind gets what it starts to read, what a stable mind sees are causes. Oh, this is how this pattern got set in motion. This is why this relationship is this way. This world is this way. And if these other seeds were planted and watered, then this relationship would be another way. The world would be another way. Oh, it starts to make sense in exactly the way that when the mind is not clear, not stable, nothing seems to make sense. How did I get here? Why is it like this again? And we tend to keep doing what makes the world the way it is and relationships the way that they are. So let me just review these five jhanic factors again. And if you want uh, the new winter newsletter, which you can pick up on your way out, I wrote a little short article on the side that describes these five jhanic factors. So you can have that 
And maybe Scott or somebody could get me new batteries. I think the batteries in this, uh, AA batteries, that would be great. There's a charger back there that you can just take it off of the charger and have people pass them forward. So the first one you probably remember from the guided meditation is strengthening this mental muscle of connecting. And there's a very clear telltale sign when you're connecting to the present moment, it's energizing. And the same way when you're lost in thought, generally speaking, it's deadening when that happens. And it, the most important thing about strengthening, like developing this ability to connect is to have humility. Don't suppose you know how to do it. Because it sounds like one of those things, like as a human being, you know, you would never admit, you know, I just don't know how to connect with the way things are. But the truth is it isn't easy for us because we lead with our thoughts about the way things are. And we generally are content with what our thoughts tell us is happening. And we rarely, I mean, we do it, but just in a moment, and then we go back to basically abiding in our thoughts about things. Thanks, Dan. So we have to have some humility that we don't, we haven't mastered the art, the skill, we haven't strengthened that mental muscle, really honored it and respect that mental muscle of the mind that can connect, be intimate, just for a moment, because the next part, of course, is then sustaining that present moment connection that present moment knowing, the not forgetting. That's a different muscle. The remembering, it's like this, the sustaining of awareness. It's a different mental muscle. And it's good to break them down because otherwise we just have this general idea of mindfulness. And again, if we surveyed everybody you know, at the Mall of America, everybody would say, yeah, I'm mindful, I'm aware. right? Because that's just the presumption that we'd already, we'd already do a good job at being aware. And so we're basically, in a diluted sense, we're content with the awareness as it is. The superficiality, the distractedness, the basically being lost in thought inside of our thoughts and even more provocatively imprisoned by our thoughts about things and never getting beyond that. So then our world becomes static because our thoughts about our world, about our relationships, about who I am, who I think you are. Those ideas can be relatively static. The reality is never static. The reality is always alive. And that's why the fruit of just connecting is always energy. You start to feel alive. In the same way that when we go into a new situation and we actually have more of that present moment connecting, our hair stands up in the back of the neck, right? We just feel alive when we're really connecting with the present moment. But generally, we only get that out in the world when we've stepped into a really novel, new situation. And then just because there's some fear, we decide it's worth the effort to pay attention, to not believe our thoughts, and to kind of show up freshly. What's going on here? You know, Is this a UFO, or is that just you know, a weather balloon? You know, something like that. It's like, oh my God. Or is that, you know, is that a bobcat or is that just a house cat? You know? <laughs> in which case we wouldn't care. But if it's a bobcat in Minneapolis, you know, I'm going to 
be alert. I'm going to really connect with the sounds that I'm hearing or sights that I'm seeing or smells that I'm smelling. I'm going to be vivid. And I'm not going to trust my idea. I'm going to trust my direct knowing through the sense gates, the seeing, the hearing, the smelling, the tasting, the touching. Thoughts are just thoughts. We're in that elemental place, and it's energizing. That's how you know you're connecting with the present moment. So if you're bored in your practice, you're not connecting with the present moment. You're pretending to be mindful. And pretending to be mindful, there are fewer thi- few things that are more boring than sitting down and pretending to be aware of your breath coming in or pretending, acting as if you're intimate with your body or acting as if you're intimate with the present moment. It's like, it's like the worst kind of, you know, some of the arts that we go to, plays and other things, where the artist isn't coming from a connected place. They're really boring. You know, it's just like we're getting inside of somebody's head and their own kind of trapped, fixated ideas about this and that. And it's not, but when we see art, relate to art, where the artist is really going into a new place, really in that fresh place, and they create a doorway so others can kind of follow them in, that kind of art is very enlivening. right? That, that kind of art we're really grateful for. So this is what we want to do in our practice, and this is where we always begin again, with connecting with the way it is. And so we have our six sense gates. Thoughts are being known, mental activity, something being known. Sight is being known, hearing is being known, sensation being known, smell and taste being known. That's it. It's only through these six sense gates that we can connect. And then the second muscle of our practice that we need to develop is the sustaining of present moment awareness, things in and of themselves. So it's not enough just to connect with the present moment or to connect with sensation because the power of that really exponentially strengthens as we sustain that present moment awareness, even for a few seconds. So when someone comes to me after you know, a retreat or during a retreat and says, oh yeah, I sit, and then I'm aware of the body, you know, and then in 30 minutes the sit ends, and then I know they're not, they don't know their own practice because it would be an amazing thing to sustain present moment awareness for 30 minutes. It would be completely life-altering to sustain present moment awareness for 30 minutes. It's a mystical experience by 10 seconds, really. It, for most people who are just kind of getting some momentum in the practice, to have 10 seconds of uninter- uninterrupted, sustained present moment awareness, you enter into a reality that is completely unfamiliar. It's called the way it is. It's called ordinary reality, but we're never really there for long. We touch it in an instant, and then we're in our thoughts about things. So when we sustain that awareness for seconds at a time, not only is the energy building, but the mind changes allegiance. See, normally our mind is dependent on our thoughts about things. And we always have a lot of doubts because there's some intuition that our thoughts about things are never the thing in itself. You know, my thoughts about my partner my thoughts about common ground, my thoughts about what's happening in this country or happening in this world, my thoughts about how good my practice is, right? 
But I have some sneaking suspicion that that's just a thought. I don't really know. But when the mind connects and sustains present moment awareness, the allegiance switches from what I think is happening to what the mind directly is experiencing happening. And so the new orientation is around the reality of the present moment. That removes the doubt that's systemic. There's going to always be doubt to the degree our mind is dependent on our thoughts about things, our opinions about things, then we're going to have doubt. Because on some level, and we think that the people without doubt are healthy, but they're less healthy than the people who have a lot of doubt about their thoughts and about their opinions. Right? It's a healthy sign to be skeptically doubtful about whatever we think. It's like there's even bumper stickers out there now, like something like, don't believe your thoughts. Is that what, do you remember how, don't believe everything you think, right? Or most of what you think. Except the thought, don't believe everything you think. You can believe that. (laughs) (laughs) Or at least temporarily use that thought, right, as a counterweight to the strong tendency, because we're afraid as human beings, and because we desperately want some kind of ground, we always, the go-to place is to believe our thoughts, to believe our interpretations and our opinions about things, not because they're believable, but because we desperately want some kind of ground. So we'll hold on to something that's not true and pretend that it is true because the alternative is unfathomable or uncomfortable, which is knowing that we don't know. But see, that really generates energy for the practice of connecting and sustaining in this slip of allegiance where the mind starts to have trust and the direct experiencing and less trust, less dependence on its interpretations. So you could become a Buddha scholar, an expert, more knowledgeable than anybody at Common Ground about what the Buddha said according to the scholars and this and that. But that doesn't liberate your mind from doubt. What liberates the mind from doubt is doing the practice of connecting and sustaining. And even if you don't know the first thing about what the Buddha said, hasn't, haven't read any of the books or heard that many talks, it doesn't matter. Because your teacher then, this is this flip of allegiance. Instead of the world of ideas being your teacher and reading books of other people's ideas and connecting those ideas to the ideas you have and integrating those ideas, which is mostly what we're doing, and it's not all bad, but it's not an end in itself for sure. Your teacher becomes connecting and sustaining. Your teacher becomes dharma. And by dharma, we're not talking about the written teachings of the Buddha. We're talking about the direct knowing of the way it is the mind that connects and sustains awareness with sight and sound and sensation and smell and taste and thought, not in terms of the content of the thought or mental activity, but mental activity as mental activity. Oh, that's just thinking happening. That's just emoting, emotion happening. It's just what it is, that activity of the mind, being known, sustaining that awareness. Oh, yeah. And when you get the energy from connecting and the deepening trust, the absence of doubt from the sustaining of awareness, then there's this maturing of joy or rapture in the mind. The whole sense of self 
of me becomes lighter, more of this flow state. Right? That's joy is very much related to flow. When we're a frightened animal, we don't trust flow. When we start having more confidence in life, in our heart, in the mind, we're willing to open to the natural flow. Because that's, when we say dharma, the way it is, that's what it is. It's movement. There's nothing static about the way it is. The only, the reason things feel so kind of static, so like, yeah, me, me, I was me then, I'm me now, probably me later, (laughs) is because the idea of me is static, right? But not the immediate knowing of the present moment. That's not, that's quite alive. That's why there's energy. We're entering this world of change, of things moving, unfolding, one thing becoming the next. And the mind is enlivened. And we take it as our leader. You know, we trust it. We orient around the Dharma the way it is, this movement with the sustaining of awareness. And we start to feel lighter and lighter because we're, the mind is less and less dependent on ground the ground that our ideas seem to create. And that's joy. So we have this sort of choice. Mind dependent on ideas, feeling a little dead, feeling relatively secure because it's familiar territory, but it's also dead territory, or connecting, sustaining with the way it is, entering this world of change, one thing leading to the next, flow, everything in motion, coming alive in that space, feeling lighter and lighter, less ground, more joy, more buoyancy, more fluidity, right? And that begins to remove the ill will, the impatience, the irritation. Because we've been cut off, we've been almost endlessly frustrated by life. Because we've been cut off from our life. Because we've been imprisoned in our thoughts about life. It's felt dead. We got frustrated. We try harder with a better idea. We get imprisoned in that idea. It's also dead. Feeling betrayed again. More frustration, more irritation, more hatred, more anger, more blaming. My partner's the reason I'm feeling so dead. The world is the reason. My job, my body, my dharma center, my, you know, it's like we'll find a target for our anger and frustration never really understanding that it's because the mind is in the habit of choosing to find ground through our ideas about things, expecting those ideas to make us feel safe. They don't. They imprison us. So when that joy, when we have this different orientation around connecting with the way it is, connecting, sustaining, coming alive, feeling some joy, ill will begins to leave. We start to feel alive in a ordinary but unusual way, a natural way. And there's less and less ill will with the, with the absence, with the healing of the heart because of the less frustration, less ill will, less aversion, less fear, more trust, then a deeper kind of happiness starts to mature and emerge, which sukha is the Pali word, but it's an ease. Ah. I can trust life. I can really inhabit the activity of the body and mind. I can trust it. It's not like we're safe, but we were never safe in a real sense. But I understand it. 
I'm willing to show up. I'm willing to say yes to my life and all of its imperfections and engage it. And that allows ill will to leave and allows restlessness to fade away because the heart feels now at home in the world as it actually is. It doesn't have to pretend the world is different than it is. And so that's a deeper kind of contentment and ease than the initial joy and rapture. So that's the fourth quality. So this is, again, we're just painting a picture of the natural causes for the, it's really the maturing of the heart or mind toward, from fragmentation, instability, superficiality, distractedness to a mind that's stable and clear and sees things as they are and is able to be intimate, engaged. So we have connecting, sustaining, the arising of joy, the maturing of ease, contentment, trust, relaxation, and then a refinement of stillness and peace and equanimity. This is sort of the ultimate maturing of everything belongs, saying yes to life, not because it's perfect, but because it's the way that it is and really understanding the way that it is. And this equanimity, this is what we mean by balance. And see, because of this balance, without this balance, how do we know how to respond? Because life is always moving, always changing. How do we know what to say or not say or to do or not do? It's only this balance that allows for a skillful response. Otherwise, we're just sort of taking chances that we're going to plant more seeds of frustration or more seeds for peace and compassion and healing and justice. We need this balance. And the, the uh, telltale sign of this fourth, or I'm sorry, this fifth quality, the kagata is the Pali word, sometimes translated as one-pointedness, but it's really pointing to a mind that has matured, has unified, has healed to such a degree that it drops its addiction to craving. Craving can be very subtle, right? In the most subtle way, it's like somehow suspecting that things should be different than they are. So when we're in that, when that fifth quality matures, it's the mind or the heart that doesn't need things to be different than they are in this moment. Is it complete alignment with the way it is? Not because this is the way it should be. It's, there's no should here at all. It's because it is the way that it is. That's why the heart comes into alignment with it. Because it is this way now. There is anger here. Or there is delusion here. Or there is some beautiful quality here. So we align with it. We meet it. We connect. We sustain. We trust it. We say yes to it. And then we know how to respond. We know how to show up. We know what to do. Precisely because we didn't, in a deluded way, say no to what's already true. Why would that make sense, to say no? No, you're not who you're supposed to be. According to my book, you know, my notes say you should be other than, you know, this isn't the weather that's supposed to be here today, or this isn't the world I signed up for. When I was going through the buffet before life, you know, I didn't want this body this isn't the body I signed up for. You know, I wanted a different life, a different body, a different world, you know, where people were treated this way, not this way. 
then, but then we're always in this world, this idea that if only things were the way that I imagined they should be, then I'll be happy. So we're playing this postponement. I can't be happy now because the world is imperfect. And what we're doing is we're learning to really connect, really receive, really touch, be touched by the way it is, and let our living, our response, come from that. And that changes everything. And so in Buddhist terms, that sets emotion insight, the transformation of understanding, or the transformation of the way of relating. Because that's really what we're after. We mature the mind, we stabilize the awareness in order to transform what the mind does with life, how we show up, how we live. And this is how we take care of our life, and it's also how we heal the world. It needs some healing right now, always, but especially now maybe. So again, if you want a little background, you can get the newsletter, and I'll have uh, Gabe put that up on the blog and the website too, so you can get a little bit more background on the five jhanic factors. But we have about 10 minutes before the children come in. be nice to hear a few comments or questions you might have about what I've said today. What comes to mind? Hi, my name is Peggy. I'm, I'm just wondering if, um, with regards to all the goals that you've discussed, isn't, isn't, is there any value in faking it until you make it? Well, it, I mean, I think you should just try that out for yourself and see what the results are, because we all might mean something slightly different about faking it until you make it. But I think it is true with, there is definitely a place for experimentation and creativity and messing around. But, I, but to use the maps, like to do this in the context of the map. And this is what I meant before about with connecting, having a lot of humility. Because the trouble with faking it till we make it is, it's just emotionally a lot easier to pretend that we know. So we're not faking it until we're making it, we're just faking it and then believing that we know. Because it's just an easier emotionally thing, emotional thing to do. It's hard to be a beginner. It's hard to be humble in, that, in being in that place where we know that we don't know. So like even in this first step of learning how, learning what connecting actually is as an experience. Because it's really a step into the unknown when we connect to sound, sight, sensation, thought. Because in that moment of connecting, the mind isn't dependent on its interpretation, on its thought about it. It's meeting it as an experience directly. And that's a step into the unknown. And we have to get familiar and comfortable with that step of connecting. So it's not so easy to fake something we don't know. And it's especially not easy to fake something that we know we're in the habit of wanting to avoid because it, it's uncomfortable being in the unknown. So that's why it's nice to be in community and it's nice to be around people that have undertaken this difficult or challenging practice of being more awake in life. Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. Uh, first, she, she has a mic. Go ahead. Is there any way, what does the sustaining really mean? Do you move beyond 10 seconds? And are we always doing it over again? I mean, starting again. Yeah, we're always starting again. 
and that sustaining is going to be to some degree 100%. So the mind is much quicker than we might imagine. So we might connect and there might be some sustaining, but that activity we're calling sustaining, it might be I'm, uh, the mind is connecting, it's connecting, it's connecting, and it knows something. You know, there's a momentary being lost in thought and then back, momentary loss in thought and back. So we're purifying that sustaining. And that's what I meant in the guided meditation about really understanding what actual interest is. Because it, it isn't going to work to sustain because we want to sustain. It can't be that more gross level egoic activity, like I'm going to make myself sustain with the present moment. It has to be an authentic interest. And when we notice, like from our life, times when we've had that sustained present moment awareness, it's always because there was a, a natural and pure interest arose. Maybe initially there was fear that it ignited it, but then the mind realizes, oh, you don't need to be afraid, honey. And then, but it was still vividly interested for a while. And it's like we start to feel the energy that's there. And like, it's like the whole world opens up. Oh, my God, the world is actually interesting. I'm not like trying to make it interesting. And it doesn't matter where. Like I remember a time I was a little kid, maybe eight or nine. I was walking. Back then we walked to and from school. So this is a place I'd walked hundreds of times uh, back from school, North Minneapolis. And uh, I just remember looking at some neighbor's yard a block or so from my house and the sidewalk. I mean, it was just a sidewalk and a front lawn. It was nothing special. But what was special was the mind was seeing it as it was, as it is. So it's that aliveness. And I did, of course, I had no idea what was happening to me at the time. But it, it kind of rocked my world a little bit. But I, had, I just kind of filed it away because I didn't understand what happened. But it was just seeing something as it was with some sustained few seconds presence. Because it wasn't sidewalk as a concept or my neighbor's front yard as a concept. It wasn't a concept at all. It was being in the present moment. The present moment is shocking because it's not like we think it is. The thought of the present moment, no matter how accurate, no matter how many Buddhist books you've read, your thought of the present moment is in a different file cabinet than the experience of the present moment. It has no relationship. Like... A menu has no relationship to eating the food. But, I mean, there's some connection, but they're just sort of different things. One's made out of paper and they're glossy pictures and words printed with ink. That has nothing to do with, you know, tofu curry and actually the chewing and tasting and swallowing of tofu curry. There's like no relationship between the two except the thought that there should be a relationship. Yeah, and the kids are here, so we need to leave it here. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.